Well, good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you today. And if you're a guest, we'd like to say welcome home. You found your spiritual home. And welcome to those who are live streaming with us as well. I want to start right off with our scripture this morning. It's Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. The Pharisees said to Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you're new to us today, we've been in a sermon series entitled Obey Everything, taken from the Great Commission, and we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew and looking at the commands of Jesus, make sure that we're in obedience. And this is the command for today, is this command of Jesus to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's our command. Now, whatever else it means, it has something to do with eating. We know that right from the context. Because the Pharisees, who were the religious elites of Jesus' day, were criticizing him for eating with the wrong people. I mean, Jesus, these elites felt like they had the authority to tell people with whom they could and could not eat, and when they could and could not gather. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that would ever happen in any society? But it was happening back then. And so, obviously, this has something to do with eating. Now, some of the commands of Jesus that we've looked at in this series, a little bit challenging to obey. Turn the other cheek, for instance. That's challenging. That's going to hurt. But this one, I think we're going to enjoy this particular command because it has a lot to do with eating, and uh, particularly this coming Thursday. Now, what I want to do this morning is just look at the relationship between eating. I'm going to call it mercy eating eating and mercy. The relationship between eating and mercy You're going to say three things. Number one, Jesus modeled it. Jesus modeled mercy eating. We can see this from the passage. Jesus modeled mercy eating. Matthew 9, 10 again. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. If you can show mercy by eating with other people, then Jesus certainly practiced what he preached. So much so that Jesus' enemies accused him of being a glutton, right? of abusing eating, of eating too much because he was doing so much eating. Now, of course, he was not a glutton. Gluttony is a sin, but he had that appearance because he was eating early and often. Now, somebody has said, correctly observed, that you could say Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. Because eating was so much a part of his ministry. You might not have ever reflected on that before. But let me put some of the biblical data before you just to leave the impression that Jesus is practicing what he preaches here. Some of the meals that are recorded in the Gospels, we've got this one that we're looking at today. Jesus eating with Matthew, who was a tax collector, and the other tax collectors and sinners. We also read of the Last Supper, of course, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, Two meals are recorded at the homes of Pharisees. So Jesus not only ate with tax collectors and public sinners, he ate with self-righteous hypocrites as well. A meal with Zacchaeus, the meal with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, uh, the meal with, uh, Jesus had with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. That's the one he actually hosted and cooked. But even these meals, those are some of the meals, but even these meals are the delightful second course to the Feast of Celebration of the Israelites. Israel, the nation of Israel's yearly calendar was punctuated by festivity at the sanctuary, which always included what? Eating. Always included eating. 
the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles were joyful celebrations of thanksgiving for the bountiful harvest. And the feast of tabernacles, they allowed Gentiles and not non-Jews to participate. So in his fellowship meals, Jesus was being what Israel was always supposed to have been, a center for joy and celebration and hope for the whole world. Now, parenthetically, not directly related, but parenthetically, the early church, the disciples of Jesus, followed his lead in this respect of eating. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So eating was one of the things the early church devoted themselves to. Acts 2.46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So all we're saying right here, Jesus modeled this. The next time we look at our WWJD bracelet, what would Jesus do? The answer might be to grab somebody and go out to lunch, or go to breakfast, or go to dinner. All right, so Jesus modeled mercy eating. We're saying three things about the relationship between eating and mercy. Here's the second thing. The meals are the medium. The meals are the medium for mercy. Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, I want you to show mercy. Now, it's interesting. Quite a contrast here between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were using meals to construct and reinforce walls between people, the social classes, economic classes, and religious classes. They're using meals to build walls. In contrast, you know, Jesus is using the same thing, meals to break down walls between people, to show mercy toward people. People who were considered public centers. The tax collectors, that was a double whammy because the tax collectors were collecting money on behalf of Rome, which was considered the enemy, so tax collectors were traitors, and, and they also extorted people, so they tended to take more than they were supposed to. So everybody hated the tax collectors. Other kind of public centers, when they speak of centers, would have probably been things like prostitutes and those with substance abuse, the drunkards and whatnot. But Jesus would eat with all of these folks. He broke down the walls using meals. Because people back then were lonely and isolated just like they are in our culture today. Sky Jethany writes about our society, family zones are demarcated by fences and within the home. Family members are zoned into private bedrooms, each with a television and internet connection. The suburb, like the consumer worldview from which it came, forms us to live fragmented and isolated lives of private consumption. And she wrote that before the coronavirus. And we all realize isolation and loneliness is, is reaching epidemic proportions in our society these days. What is it about a meal that communicates mercy and loosens people up? Well, we've all seen this, I'm sure. You've seen this about what a meal can do. I mean, for years, I've taught the Discover class for people who are interested in becoming a part of our church. Usually hold it after the third service, and people will come, and I'll do a little concentrated teaching on the Bible, on unity, on what we understand about salvation, the structure of the church, and people are listening and focusing and concentrating, and their brows are furrowed, and of course, we open it up for questions, but most people don't ask a question, it's a little awkward, maybe a little intimidating, then we'll break and go have a meal. 
And over the meal, you can just see a change that happens over the people who've been in the class. People relax. They loosen up. They start to talk and maybe ask some of those questions they didn't necessarily want to ask in that classroom environment. The meal is the medium. What is there about eating? Now, I don't have the I don't have a definitive answer to the question that's not really revealed in the Bible. I want to speculate a little bit. I'll just tell you the speculation. Maybe you can think of it. If you were me and you had to say, what is it about a meal that that communicates mercy? You know, I wonder what you would say. Maybe that can be a a lunch discussion question today. But I thought of one thing is the invitation itself. When you invite someone to a meal, hey, you want to go have lunch, you're showing a little bit of vulnerability because what could they say? They could say no, and that's rejection, and nobody likes rejection. So people understand that when they're being invited, the person who's doing the inviting has a little bit of vulnerability there. By the way, you do realize most of the meals we looked at, Jesus had all these meals with with sinners. Most of them, he was not hosting, and he was not doing the inviting, was he? Just like the one we're looking at with Matthew. He was invited to the meal. These folks... There was something winsome about Jesus, and they wanted to have lunch with them, him. And so they would invite him, and they realized they're being vulnerable, but here's Jesus, this well-known rabbi who's willing to come and eat with them. Well, that communicates mercy. And also, here's another thing. Typically, you eat with folks that you like. I mean, if you have a choice about it, you typically eat with people that you like. So if you invite somebody to lunch, you're kind of signaling to them, you know, I, I like you. I mean, it's not like let's get married or anything. But hey, I like you. You're somebody I might like to have a meal with. And if they say yes, they're communicating the same thing. And also, when you eat, I was thinking it, it kind of established, it establishes a commonality between people because everybody's got to eat. So it doesn't really matter if you're a millionaire or you make minimum wage, if you are the mayor or a mailman, everybody's got to eat. It's kind of like the old saying, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. So that establishes kind of a common ground. And if the mayor, if you're having lunch with the mayor and you're eating a cheese pizza and he pulls that pizza away and you got that long string of cheese, it's going to break off onto his chin just like it does the mailman's chin. He's going to get spaghetti sauce on his shirt just like the mailman gets spaghetti sauce on his church on his shirt, rather. My apologies to the mailman. Eric, sorry, mailman this morning. No, it's just my term for a common everyman. So there establishes the common ground. And also, it's enjoyable. It's fun. Everybody likes to eat, especially if it's good food. So you're sharing something that's enjoyable. So in these ways and probably other ways, you can be communicating mercy to another person. There's an old story. You may have heard it, but a fellow fell asleep. He had a dream. And an angel takes him up in the sky and shows him two doors. And they open the first door, and there's a room with a huge circular table. Right in the middle of that table is a big pot of vegetable soup. It's steaming. It smells great. His mouth is watering. Sitting around this table are people, and each one has a long-handled spoon. I mean, the spoon is several feet long on this handle so that they could reach the pot in the middle of the table. But the the handle is too long for them to get the spoon around and put it in their own mouth so they can reach the the pot, but they can't feed themselves, and they're all skinny and bony and miserable. So they back out of there, shut the door, and the angel says, now you've just seen hell. And they go to the second door, and they open it up, same scenario, big round table, 
pot of soup in the middle, long-handled spoons. But in, in this room, everybody's fat and happy and joyful and laughing because they have learned that while they can dip the soup out and not feed themselves, they can feed the person across the table from them. And so they're feeding each other. And the angel says, and here you've seen heaven. This is where people learn and mercy to serve others. Now, here's a takeaway. As disciples of Jesus, when we eat, and especially when we intentionally eat with others, we're not just feeding ourselves. The meal is not just all about ourselves, not just feeding our faces with food. Metaphorically speaking, we're also meeting a need in the other person that we're eating with. A need for fellowship, a need for companionship, to communicate acceptance and liking of someone. These are, these are tremendous appetites and needs that all people have. Even the introverts among us have this need. And we learn to share and show mercy through the meal, which is the medium. All right, so just thinking about the relationship today between mercy and eating. And the third and final thing that I want to say is that familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Matthew 9, 11, why does your master eat with such scum? I like the New Living Translation for this reason. I just love that. Why does he eat with such scum? Now, this is the Pharisees saying this. How did the Pharisees know that he was eating with scum or that the people that he was eating with were scummy people? Because they lived in a small town. Now, we live in a small town, don't we? We all, Vero Beach is a pretty small town. You can hardly go to Publix over here without running into Greg Bartolucci or somebody that you know in the church. Some of you grew up here in Vero Beach, and you went to Vero Beach High School over here, and you either dated or know 75% of the people who are here in town. And in a small town, you start to get to know, you get up in everybody's business, everybody knows everybody, you can trust this mechanic, you can't trust that mechanic, and that person's cheating on this person. And even so much more so, the villages that Jesus was traveling to would be from 500 to 1,500 people, small towns. So the Pharisees, they knew who the tax collectors were, and they knew who the prostitutes were, and they knew who the substance abusers were. And they were the kind of people that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, judge not, lest you be judged, it's going to be the same measure used of you. The people, they were the kind of people who held others in contempt. For their sin, even though they were blind to their own self-righteousness and hypocrisy. But they knew who the other sinners were, and they would zero in and condemn people for that. Why does he eat with such scum? So familiarity breeds contempt. And I want to make, as we approach Thanksgiving, I want to make kind of a narrow application to um, our scripture and our lesson today, and that is to our families. Sometimes the most challenging people to show mercy to are the people we're closest to, the members of our own family. We don't necessarily have to go to a soup kitchen out there to eat with sinners. Right? We are eating with sinners just about every day. I mean, you ever had, you ever had this experience? Uh, we can relate to the psalmist. Psalm 101.2, the psalmist says, I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home where I long to act as I should. Having an argument with your spouse, maybe it's getting a little bit loud. Oh, yes, I am a good driver. And here's another thing. And then the cell phone rings, and you pick it up and say, hello. <laughs> right? What happened? 
Well, we're having trouble controlling our anger over here, but we managed to control it over here, and we're nicer to the stranger sometimes than we are to members of our own family. Say, well, not me, Steve. Oh, I am Mr. Love. I'm so loving with my family. All right, let's take a little quiz here. Three-question mercy quiz with our own family. Don't answer these out loud, just in your own heart and your own mind. Question number one, when my spouse or children get some details wrong while telling a story, A, B, do I A, interrupt them and correct them publicly, or B, say nothing and let it go, knowing I've done the same, all right? No lying here, God is watching, God is watching. Two, when my spouse or child keeps making the same mistake over and over again, do I A, become bitter and angry, or B, graciously forgive them and pray for them? Right, we're probably two for two now. Number three, when my spouse or child says something I don't understand, do I say, why did you do that? Or B, do I assume they have the best motivation for doing it? You know, it's funny, many times we don't even understand our own motives for what we do, but we seem so harsh with other people. Well, let me just make two or three suggestions here. Mercy is an aspect of love. So I'm going to use 1 Corinthians 13, just say four ways to show mercy to our families this year at Thanksgiving. We'll just go through these real quick. Number one, overlook irritations and offenses. Overlook irritations and offenses. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not irritable or easily angered. It ought not be easily angered. There's two wrong ways to handle, handle anger. I mean, we're either a skunk or a turtle. You know when a skunk is angry, he stinks everything up. But turtles withdraw. So most people are either a skunk or a turtle. Here's the funny thing. Usually skunks marry turtles, and turtles marry skunks. But the better way is to show mercy and love and overlook an offense. Number two, be kind when they don't deserve it, but they need it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is always supportive. Every family has some VDPs. Very draining people. Don't look at them right now, but every family has some of those. As Proverbs says, Solomon says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. So we're wise. And we're always, we like to focus on how far people have to go. Well, they've got so far to go instead of how far they've come. And if we understood people's backgrounds, we might cut them a little more slack than we typically do. Number three, let go of past hurts. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let go. Don't repeat it. Delete it. Okay? Don't get historical in our arguments. And number four, and finally, by believing that God is working in their lives. Show mercy by believing God is working in the lives of our family even if there doesn't seem to be evidence of that or evidence to the contrary. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love always trusts, is always hopeful. Love always perseveres through whatever comes. How do we know if we're trusting God that He's working in our families, in our families' lives? A big indication is prayer. If we're praying for our families a lot, we're trusting God a lot. If we pray for our families a little, we're trusting God a little. If we don't pray for our families at all, we're not trusting God at all. By the way, these are all ways that God has dealt with us in His mercy. He overlooks our irritations and offenses. He's kind to us even though we don't deserve it. He lets go of past hurts. He believes in us when sometimes we don't even believe in ourselves. I want to close today with a little song. We've got about a three-minute song clip here just to kind of illustrate 
that all families have a little dysfunction in them. It's not just you, all families. Let's roll that, please. <laughs> 